Please open to Genesis chapter 1. We will get there in a few moments. There's something I need to read to you. Genesis chapter 1. Give you a moment to turn there because I want you to um, be sure you're listening to what I'm going to read to you. It's very important. On May 29th of this year, just a few days ago, the website WND released this report. And I'm just going to read. I'm not reading the whole thing to you, but I'll read enough of it. You'll understand. More Protestant churches across America are closing than opening. According to a new report from Lifeway Research, which confirmed that trend appeared before the COVID-19 pandemic surged. And the report, they don't have all the numbers from 2020. So this really just goes back up through 2019. Um, And uh, they have some figures from part of uh, 2020, but not the figures that go all the way through like November or December. They're still compiling everything. But uh, U.S. Protestant churches endured a difficult 2020, including starting the year with fewer congregations. In 2019, approximately 3,000 Protestant churches were started in the U.S., but 4,500 Protestant churches closed. In contrast, only a few years earlier, in 2014, 4,000 churches were planted while 3,700 closed. Now this reflects a trend that's, that's a shift. More closing than opening. And then now it's, it's crested over onto the other side to where there are greater numbers closing than opening. Lifeway said it looked at congregational information from 34 denominations and groups representing 60% of U.S. Protestant churches to arrive at the church plant and closure numbers for 2019. Over the last decade, most denominations have increased the attention they are giving to revive existing congregations that are struggling. I find that word interesting, to revive, to revive existing congregations that are struggling. What are we talking about? Revival. And uh, this was a a quote from Scott McConnell, the executive director of Lifeway Research. This has been more than a fad. This has been a response to a real growing need to revitalize unhealthy congregations. Ed Stetzer of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center said, while the numbers are changing, people are searching spiritually and the gospel is the answer. The Washington Examiner noted the Lifeway numbers line up with what Gallup discovered earlier. The numbers coincide with a bleak 2020 poll by Gallup that showed a decline of membership of all churches to less than 50% for the first time in 80 years, the Examiner reported. Gallup started collecting data in 1937 when church membership was 73% compared to 47% last year. Now, <clears throat> what this means is churches are closing. 
Now the report doesn't say exactly where the people are going, what's happening, but churches are closing. Now if you remember, it was, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago here, <clears throat> there was, it was a, a prophecy that had something to do, and I, I didn't look it up, didn't try to find it, but this prophecy had something to do with um, churches closing. And I don't, again, I don't remember the exact wording. But we're seeing that happen. Churches are closing. Now granted, we have <clears throat> some uh, mega churches, and every now and then you hear about a church that, well, we started with 10 people, and you know, three years later we're running 4,000. And we think, oh wow, that's great, that's wonderful. Well, yeah, but that doesn't change the fact that churches are closing and we cannot blame it on COVID-19. Now granted, for 2020, there's going to be an impact as far as that's concerned. But what it comes down to is this. There is a shift taking place in the body of Christ. Things are happening. The, um, there's a shaking, if you will, that's going on. There are some people who have left church they may never go back. There's so much compromise in a lot of churches. What difference does it make if I go to church or I don't go to church? Because if I don't go to church, I can do things that they're telling me is okay in church. It's a, it's a problem. It's a real problem. Uh, you know, what's the answer? Well, the answer is revival. Yeah, I understand that. But the answer is not simply to say revival. The answer lies within the individual believer. Because churches close as a result of what? People not being there. So why aren't the people there? Well, maybe a bunch of them have gone to some of these mega churches, these seeker friendly churches. I don't know. And I'm sure in some cases that's true. However, if we do not continue to press into God as we know how, then there's no way God's going to be able to use us to minister to the folks who've left these churches where the church is closed. But it's not just about the churches closing. Think about this. It's all the pastors who are no longer pastoring. What are they doing? You know, have they gone back into secular employment? And some of these churches that closed were probably pastored by bivocational pastors. In other words, the pastor works a secular job and pastors as well. However, there's a real problem. Now, I'm not saying all of this to be negative. What I'm saying is, this, what's happening, is a fulfillment of prophecy. And we have Christians that, they're still in church, but it's weird that they just don't seem to want to buy into what God is doing. They just... Well, let me give you um, an example. That's been around... For, this is... What I'm getting ready to share with you has been around for a long time. But you know, a lot of Christians think that um, pastors shouldn't talk about political things. You know, there, there needs to be that separation between church and state. Christians shouldn't be involved in politics and so forth. But now here's what's interesting. If you just read the Bible, you'll find that's not true. 
Here's what I'm getting at. Think, just think of the Old Testament. All those prophets that were raised up, who did they talk to when God said, tell my people this, that, and the other? Well, many times they were talking to the priest. I get that. But if you go through and you read the Old Testament, you're going to find time after time after time, they went and they were talking to the kings. They were speaking prophetically to the kings. What does that represent? (laughs) An involvement in politics. The politics of the day. And we read that in the Old Testament and we think, well, yeah, you know, God, he's trying to get the message across, but, but things have changed now. In other words, now that we have the New Testament, well, it's not supposed to be the same. The people aren't supposed to be involved. That's nuts. And what's interesting is that there were people that were committed to God that got raised up into a position of being king. As in David. <laughs> Now, I know he had, you know, some problems of his own, but there were other kings, same way. They, they were not from the priesthood. They were just people. And it worked out, they ended up being the king, and they trusted God. They were committed to the Lord. Well, guys, it's the same thing today, but you have a lot of Christians who don't want to buy into that. Well, now, when you start going through all of these... Um, different topics that Christians, many Christians say, well, you know, it shouldn't be like this and it shouldn't be that. And they criticize this and they criticize that. Even though they may not have a harsh tone to their voice, well, we just don't believe it that way. Things like that. We cannot let that impact us. Jesus even prophesied and he said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, you keep pressing into me you're going to find that in many cases, your enemies are the people under your, under your roof. They're going to come against you. Your family members are going to come against you. And guys, I'm telling you, that goes on. You'll have family members profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Born again, glory to God, maybe even spirit-filled. But the moment you start talking to them about, well, you know, you, you can pray in tongues anytime you want. Oh, no, you can't do that. Well, you really need to pray in tongues. Well, it's a good thing, but, you know, it's not really. Well, what a, you need, fasting's, oh, no, no, yeah, fasting's not a bad thing. But, in other words, they counter everything you start to bring up. And they contradict what is in Scripture. And don't even go to the Word to find out if it's true. They just live on what they think. They live on their own concept and interpretation of Scripture. Another aspect of this has to do with uh, you know, what we speak. There's some Christians, they don't think it matters what they speak. And you know, I, I shared once before how that there are Christians, they are digging their grave with their tongue. You, you cannot just let your mouth declare whatever pops up in your head. You know, there has to be this control. But anyway... In Genesis chapter 1, look here. In verse 1 it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, 
Let there be light. And there was light. So what we see then is God's involved in the creation. And we see that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, let me say it like this, was in position to do something. And God said, let there be, and as soon as God said, we had a manifestation. And you continue to read through Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there, and God said, let there, and God said, let there. And over and over again, after he said it, it came to pass. Now look over in John chapter 1. Leave a marker here in Genesis 1, we'll come back in a little bit. Now, keeping in mind what we just read in Genesis chapter 1, turn over to uh, John chapter 1, and in John chapter 1, look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, And without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now verse 14 where it says, And the word was made flesh, another way to say that and say it correctly would would be, And flesh was made for the word. Or a body was made for the word to house the Word. So we see then more information about what happened in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. A body was made for the Word so the Word could dwell among humans as a human. Now look over in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And in verse, uh, let's see here, verse 8. Pick it up in verse 8. Paul is writing, says, well, let's go back to verse 7. It'll make a little bit more sense. Whereof I was made a minister, minister of what? Minister of the gospel according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. See that? Another way to say it would be, Who created all things by the Word? In the beginning was the Word. All things were made by Him. Who created all things by Jesus Christ? Now look in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him 
were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. See this? Again, it's talking about the word. All things were created by him, by the word. Now look in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And here in Hebrews chapter 1, just start reading in verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now look at that. In verse 2 it tells us that by the Son, God made, made the world, made everything. And then in verse 3 it says that he's upholding all things by the word of his power. Not the power of his word which would be true as well, but by the word of his power. Now, this is so important because what it tells us is there's, there's power, but you've got to have the word to begin activating the power. See that? By the word of his power, upholding all things. Now look in uh, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, and read verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him, he's talking about Jesus, that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So, what are we seeing? Repeatedly, we are seeing God reveal to us Yes, indeed, He created all things, but He created all things by Jesus Christ, who is the Word. He created all things by His Word and upholds all things by the Word of His power. Now turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And here in Luke chapter 3, begin reading in verse 1. Now, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trachonitis, 
and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now stop right there. You think, okay, why in the world are they identifying all these people? What's the point? I mean, I don't know these people, um, and I don't get why are they in the Bible. Here's why. So that in the future, historians would know when this actually was taking, they could time it back through history. They would know. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of these names are in Scripture. It's because a lot of these people are recorded in secular history, Old and New Testament. So when you read it in the Bible, and then you have uh, people who are like history majors and so forth, they go, oh, okay, well, that particular king, you know, was in Babylon, and he was in this, and he would, this one was over there. It, it actually confirms, if you will, what's recorded in Scripture. All right, now, it says here that John, the son of Zacharias, you know, he's received the word, and he came, verse 3, he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of, of sins. Now jump to verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. See that? Now, what else could God have said here? He could have said, Thou art my beloved word, and in thee I am well pleased. Because didn't we read how? That in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So sure, God could have said, Thou art my beloved word, in thee I am well pleased. Or that God could have said, Thou art my word made flesh. Or thou art my word in flesh dwelling with man. I mean, so many ways that he could have said that. But he says here, thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. But notice it says that the heaven was open and the Holy Ghost ascended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. Then if you look in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now to see a little bit more detail on this, look in Acts chapter 10. We're coming back here to, uh, well, we'll come back to John here in just a minute, but Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, look at verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Okay, what are we seeing in this? In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Then we see that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Ghost descended Upon Jesus. The Holy Ghost, now get this, the Holy Ghost descended upon the Word. See that? Then we see in Acts 10.30, or in Luke chapter 4 verse 1, Jesus was 
full of the Holy Ghost. Another way to say that would be, the Word was full of the Holy Ghost. Follow me? I'm not trying to trick you here. And then we see a manifestation of this working. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, or God anointed the Word made flesh with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Now, here, here's what's going on. Uh, capture this imagery. We go all the way back to Genesis, and we see the Holy Spirit is waiting. God speaks, and then the Holy Spirit moves in conjunction with the Word to bring about the manifestation of everything God wanted for creation. We jump ahead about 4,000 years. And now I'm just going to try and paint this image for you. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, the Word was with God. But what happened? The Word left heaven and came to earth to inhabit a flesh body. You follow this? So now what we have is the Word in flesh, in the, in the earth, but the Holy Spirit is in heaven. You understand this? I mean, it says the Holy Spirit descended. <laughs> you guys look like you're sleepy tonight. <laughs> I ain't that, Brother Martin. We're just trying to follow what you're saying here. So the Word's on earth and the Holy Spirit's in heaven, but then the Holy Spirit comes down and what? Is once again reunited with the Word, just like in Genesis chapter 1. Then what happened? The Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, went about doing good, doing the will of God. See this? Okay, now, turn over to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Now in John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Look here, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That right there is one of the most powerful revelations in all of Scripture. Somehow, some way, his mother understood if my boy speaks, something's going to happen. That's incredible. How'd she know that? Well, maybe she's remembering what happened when that angel paid her a visit and said, You're highly favored, etc., and so forth. And then she said, Be it unto me according to your word. Because remember, she said, How shall this be? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And she says, be it unto me according to your word. Well, when she said that, she now is coming into agreement with the word empowered by the Holy Spirit for her to become pregnant with the Son of God. Pregnant with the word. Okay, now here, she says, whatever he says, do it. Well, verse 6, and there were set, uh, there were set there, uh, six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. 
Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, maybe when men are well drunk, (laughs) then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus and Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. This is the first miracle. When did this first miracle take place? After he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But it didn't happen until he spoke. See, the potential for... Here's the Holy Spirit. All right, paint this image. In the beginning, you know, Genesis, and the, Holy, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That's what it says. Once again, we see the Holy Spirit moving upon the face of the waters, but nothing happens until Jesus says, you know, fill it up and draw out. He never touched anything. He didn't say, waters, be thou wine. And the good stuff too. No, He didn't say that. He just spoke. And when he spoke, that word coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit turned that water into wine. Now look at another place. Look in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And here in Mark chapter 1, jump all the way to uh, verse 21. And they, Jesus and the people with him, went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out. How'd that happen? The Word, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus spoke. He did not lay hands on this guy. He didn't touch him. He spoke. He spoke, and that devil came out. Now look in Mark chapter 1. Jump over to verse 40. And there came a leper to him, Jesus, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt... Thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. As soon as he he had spoken. See, Jesus said in another place, I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So, we see that the will of God who sent Jesus, was for this man to be cleansed, to be healed of this leprosy. That was the will of God. The will of God was there, but nothing happened until Jesus spoke it. And when he spoke it, that's when we see this man was cleansed. The leprosy left him. Look in Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. 
And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. The will of God was for that man's hand to be healed, to be restored. But nothing happened until Jesus spoke it. Do you realize, Jesus could have looked at this guy and said, well, you know, I hope everything works out for you. (laughs) Jesus could have walked out of there and left that guy the way he was. Are you following what I'm saying? If Jesus had not said what he said, stretch forth thine hand, if he hadn't said that, the healing would never have manifested in that man's body. But he spoke. Stretch forth your hand, and the man was healed. Look in uh, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And pick it up in verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, I pray thee, I'm asking, I'm begging, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. But now jump over to verse 41. And he, Jesus, took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel spoke and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. I mean, it's one thing to be astonished. But when you're astonished with a great astonishment, then you are really astonished. <laughs> but you'll notice, he, he took the little girl by the hand. Nothing happened. But then he spoke, Arise, I say to you, arise. And look over in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Now stop right there. I'm just going to throw this out. There comes a time when you, when you personally have to step back and rest. There comes a time, when, like here, these are people in ministry. If you don't, if you don't, you will burn yourself out. The Holy Spirit never burns anyone out in ministry. Never. So anytime you hear of a, of a minister talking about, man, I just can't take anymore. I'm just, I mean, I'm just burnt out. Anytime you hear that, what you're hearing is somebody who's doing far too much by the flesh and not by the leadership of the Spirit. Well, it says, verse 32, they departed into a desert place by ship privately And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. 
And Jesus, when He came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd and He began to teach them many things. They're supposed to be resting here. Alright? Well, when the day was now far spent, the disciples came unto Him and said, This is a desert place. Now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass, and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. Now look at this. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them and they all did eat and were filled. And then it goes on to tell us there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now notice this. He takes the loaves and the fish. He blesses them. Now, I don't know exactly what he said, but he spoke over the loaves and the fish. Then he breaks and he gives pieces of loaves to each of the, you know, the twelve and the fish and so forth. And they go out and they feed everybody, thousands of people. Now, there is a pattern in this over and over again. And there are, there are other uh, examples we could have looked at in Scripture. But what we're seeing over and over and over again is a replication of what happened in Genesis 1, only now it's not creating creation, it is restoring creation. See this? But it's the same process. The Word coupled with the Holy Spirit is bringing to pass the will of God. Okay, now, Leave your finger here in the New Testament because we're coming back in just a moment, but turn to a, a return to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now look at verse uh, 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So he says, our image, our likeness. Now I'm not going to go into a bunch of the uh, Hebrew words, but what this is saying is, let me, let me paraphrase it this way, look like us, act like us, be like us. So in other words, God was saying, they will operate on earth the way I operate in heaven. Remember what Jesus said, when you're praying, pray like this. Father, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. How was the Father's will done in earth? Genesis chapter 1. And God said. And the Holy Spirit moved. And God said. And that power took, uh, took place and, and brought into existence those things that God had spoken. So here we see God saying, I'm going to create a non-deified replication of myself to operate the way that I operate. Now look over in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, we're just going to look at one verse, verse 12. Jesus 
says. And we all know this one. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Now, what were some of the works that Jesus did? Well, he spoke, and something happened. The works that I do, you shall do also. But you've got to believe this. So he spoke, and something happened. See, in the body of Christ, there is so much criticism on the whole faith and confession message. Well, I know it's been twisted and messed up by a lot of well-meaning preachers, but you can't get away from what we're seeing in Scripture. The pattern that started in Genesis chapter 1 continues in the life of Jesus. And then he turns right around and he says, yeah, but it's not just me. It's also you. Because I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And some of the works that he did, he spoke and things happened. Well, he confirms this over in Matthew chapter 17. Now in Matthew chapter 17, this is where uh, Peter, James, John, Jesus, Mount of Transfiguration, they come down. There's a man who has a son possessed of a devil and, and the apostles can't cast him out. And then Jesus casts him out. And the disciples ask a question. How come we couldn't cast him out? Verse 20. Jesus says, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, when Jesus says this, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, say to the mountain, remove it. Why did he tell them that? Because what he's doing is taking them all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. You hear how the mountains got started. I mean, you know, figure of speech. God spoke. The Holy Spirit moved. And now I'm telling you, if you believe in me, the works I do, you shall do also. But if you're not seeing these works happen, it's because of your unbelief. Because if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could speak to the mountain and it would move. Now a lot of people think, well, you know, I mean literally a mountain? I mean, you know, a great Mount Everest? Well, let's think of it like this. The mountain is symbolic to something that you don't think can change. You know, man with a withered hand. Jesus spoke to that mountain. Because in the natural, that's not going to change. The, the demons that he spoke and cast out. In the natural, that's not going to change. I mean, demons aren't going to say, you know what, you've been a good host for a while, I think I'm going to go find somebody else. No, it doesn't work like that. Whenever Jesus went around and he's speaking, what he's doing is he is addressing a mountain that in the natural cannot be dealt with, cannot change. It will not go away. And he says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can speak. And when you do, the mountain's going to move. Now, if you have faith and nothing shall be impossible to you, and if the works aren't happening, it's because of your unbelief. Well, what do we know? We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We also know that ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith Praying in the Holy Ghost. So what do we see here? We see faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. Then we see, if you will, an empowering of the Word by the Holy Spirit. 
I pray in tongues. I'm building myself up on my most holy faith that's come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. All right. If you believe in me, the works that I do, you shall do also. God said, let's make man in our image and our likeness. To operate like we do in the earthly realm. Okay. How does this fit in to revival? Alright. I'm going to lead you in a confession. And I want you to listen to how this is... uh, How it's spoken. Because it takes us back to the original pattern for creation. So again, I'm going to lead you in this. You just repeat this after me. Just as in Genesis 1, when God said, let there be, and what He said manifested, I say, in the Miami Valley, let there be revival. Let there be healing. Let there be miracles. Let there be deliverance. Let there be restoration. Let there be a latter day rain outpouring of your spirit. Let there be growth in this church. Jesus, just as you were the creative word in Genesis 1, please be the creative word in these things. Holy Spirit, just as you moved in Genesis 1 to empower the spoken word into manifested reality, please move to empower these spoken words into manifested reality. See this? We are doing what God started in Genesis chapter 1. Let there be revival. We have, if you will, the Word living in us by virtue of being born again. Christ in you. His life is in us. And then obviously the more that we sow the Word into us, there's a greater impact and a greater effect. But, Jesus said, if you believe in Me, the works I do, you shall do also. And all too often, we focus exclusively on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, Jesus was the Word made flesh. And in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And that takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. The works that Jesus did include what happened in Genesis chapter 1. Because He was the Word then, and He's the Word now. Therefore, we're not going to create a new universe. We're not going to create new planets, etc. and so forth. However, we see the Word empowered by the Holy Spirit in action in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when Jesus would speak and things would happen, including an impact on the natural relative to the bread and the fish. And I didn't even get into uh, the, uh, like the wind and the waves. He speaks to the wind and the waves. And what happens? They settle down. Over and over again, we see Jesus replicating a variation on the theme of what happened in Genesis chapter 1. Then he turns right around and he says, okay, look, if you believe in me, the works I did, 
you can do also. And this confession that I just led you in, this is scriptural because it goes all the way back to what the Word started in Genesis chapter 1. So I say, let there be revival in the Miami Valley. Let there be revival. Let there be healings in this church. Let there be miracles in this church. This is not outside the parameters of what God wants us to do. Because if Jesus represented the Father on earth, and He spoke like the Father spoke in Genesis 1, and now we're supposed to be representing Jesus here on the earth, then what we speak is supposed to line up with what Jesus would speak, which would line up with what the Father spoke. So we're not out of order when we do this. You know, let there be peace in my home. Let my home be free of conflict. A lot of Christians really need to hammer that one. What I'm saying is this. We can sit around and believe for revival, but we need to start following the pattern that we see in Scripture. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be revival. Let there be an outpouring of the Spirit. Let there be an outpouring of power. Let there be an outpouring of, of, of healing. Let there be miracles. Let there be demonstrations of power. Let there be the gifts of the Spirit. Let there be on and on. Whatever we see that lines up with Scripture, we have the right to declare those things. Now, we're not going to change another person's will. But we can say, let there be conviction in the life of my son, daughter, mom, dad, brother, sister, husband, wife, you know, the whole family, whoever needs it. You follow what I'm saying? This is something that, guys, and it's so easy. You just say, let there be. Let there be. And just call it. Let there be healing manifested in my body. Let there be. And follow that pattern. This is something, and it's not something that, you know, it's, this isn't a legalistic instruction. This is a, a uh, bring it to light awareness. We need to do this. We need to follow that pattern. Stretch forth your hand. <laughs> Be it unto you. Be healed. Receive your healing. Let there be the will of God established in this place. Praise the Lord. Please stand.